If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Ruth chapter 2. Um, you can definitely use your phone or your tablet. I know the YouVersion Bible app is such a great resource for devices like that. So Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who's kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, Who's that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, She's the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they're harvesting, and then follow them. I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly, and when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water they've drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you've done. I hope to continue to please you, sir, she replied. You've comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I'm not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, Come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, Let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up. And don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day. And when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. Where did you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is complete. Good, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he said, my daughter, stay with his young women right through the whole harvest You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's fields and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued to work with them 
through the wheat harvest in early summer. And all the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, we are in week two of our series on the Old Testament book of Ruth. Our theme for this series is God's extraordinary work through ordinary people. In fact, last week, we were introduced to some of these ordinary people. First, there was Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, and then their two sons, Malon and Kilion. This is a family who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Now, we know that their homeland was hit with a, a terrible famine. So Elimelech, the father, decided to move his family from Bethlehem to the country of Moab. This is the home of the Moabites, a people who worshipped false gods and who were constantly at odds with God's people. Now, when they made this decision to move, we saw last week that they left God completely out of the equation, completely out of their decisions. And as we saw in Ruth chapter 1, one bad decision led to another. You know, their plan as a family was to stay in Moab for just a short amount of time, but they ended up settling there. In fact, they stayed there for 10 years, an entire decade. And throughout this time, we read that Naomi's husband passed away. And then sometime later, her two sons died as well. This left Naomi with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. These were Moabite women whom their sons had married while living in Moab. After hearing that God had blessed his people in Judah and in Bethlehem, because Bethlehem's in Judah, by giving them good crops again, Naomi decided then and only then that she was going to move back home. Now, she initially took Orpah and Ruth with her, but on the way, she stopped and she told her two daughters-in-laws to go back to their mother's homes, where they could hopefully get remarried and worship their gods. Now, after going back and forth about this instruction, Orpah decided to listen to her mother-in-law. She decided to go home. And what's sad is that this is the last time that we see her name mentioned throughout God's word. But Ruth chose to stay with Naomi. In fact, we read in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, the famous words of Ruth. I think the most well-known verse in this entire book. It says, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Naomi's motive for wanting to move back to Bethlehem was really a selfish motive. She heard a good report about how God had blessed his people with good crops again. And she wanted to experience that blessing for herself. I think she was ready for the storms of life, the, the problems that she was facing to go away and to change. But she wasn't ready to address the problems that were on the inside, the problems of unbelief and her disobedient heart. While Naomi was trying to cover up her own sin and disobedience to God, Ruth was the only one who was willing to stand up, to do what God was telling her to do, and to go where God was telling her to go. Ruth loved her mother-in-law so much. She was willing to stay by her side regardless of the situation. This is really one of the beautiful things about this story. I mentioned last week that I think this is because she'd come to know the Lord and she'd come to love the Lord. After Naomi realized that she wasn't going to win this argument with Ruth like she had with Orpah, the two of them continued on their journey back to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the entire town was so excited to see them, specifically Naomi. The townspeople actually recognized her, but they soon realized that this wasn't the same woman they knew from a decade before. You see, Naomi had moved away full. She had full hands, a full home, and a full heart. 
but she was returning with a feeling of emptiness. She moved away pleasant. In fact, that's what the name Naomi means in Hebrew. But when she came back, she told everyone to call her Mara, which means bitter. Instead of learning from the challenges that she'd faced, allowing God to shape her character and trusting in the sovereignty and the goodness of God, she just blamed God for everything that had happened. We ended our time last week having learned from the mistakes that Naomi and her family had made, mistakes that we need to avoid in our own lives. But we were also so encouraged that our God is a God of new beginnings. You see, although Naomi felt empty, God was not done working in her life. He wasn't done writing her story. And as we'll see today, God does some pretty extraordinary things through ordinary people. You know, Naomi wanted her circumstances to change. I think any one of us, if we were in her shoes, that's what we would want as well. I think a lot of us want our circumstances to change right now because of the season that we're going through. And today I want to show you how even more than the changing of our circumstances, God is more concerned about the changing of our hearts. You could say it this way, that before God changes our circumstances, he wants to change our hearts. You see, if God changes our circumstances for the better, but we remain the same, you know, we don't learn the lessons that God wants to teach us, then I would say we're actually worse off. Warren Wearsby said it this way, that God's purpose in providence, so his purpose in providing for our lives and leading our lives, directing our lives, his purpose in providence is not to make us comfortable, it's to make us conformable. So God's purpose is not to make us comfortable, it's to make us conformable. This reminds me of Romans chapter 8, verse 29, which reminds us that God's plan for all of his people is that they would be conformed to the image of his son. There's that word conformed. God doesn't want us to just be comfortable. He wants us to be conformed and specifically conformed to the image of his son. This is developing Christ-like character in our lives. That's God's goal for your life. Even before happiness, God desires holiness. We know that Naomi was, was bitter. She was bitter because of the circumstances that she was going through, the, the struggles, the challenges, but she was also bitter against God. But Ruth had a heart that was open to God's leading. And what we see in Ruth chapter 2 is God continuing his extraordinary work in Ruth's life. Ruth's story reminds us that if we truly want God to work in our lives, accomplishing his great purposes, then there are certain conditions that we have to meet. I like to say it this way, that the soil of our lives must be fertile enough for growth. So let's talk about some of the conditions that we have to meet. The first one, if you're taking note, is this, that we must walk by faith. We must walk by faith. That's an important condition that we have to meet if God's going to accomplish his great purposes in our lives. We see this condition and this truth in the first three verses. So there's a Latin proverb that says, Providence assists not the idol. What does that mean? Well, when we look at the life of Ruth, we see that she was not the kind of person who could just sit around doing nothing, hoping that her circumstances would magically change. We don't know how long Naomi and Ruth uh, we're in Bethlehem before we start reading chapter 2, but I get the impression that it wasn't very long. Ruth didn't waste any time looking for an opportunity to go out and work so that she could provide for her mother-in-law and for herself. 
In verse 2, we see her asking for Naomi's permission to go out and work or to glean in the fields so that she could have enough food to eat. I want you to see that this is a huge step of faith on Ruth's part. You see, when the wheat and barley were ready to be harvested, specific people were hired. They called them reapers. They were hired to cut down the stalks and then tie them into bundles. Now, based on God's commandment in the law, uh, back in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, whenever they reaped a harvest, God's people were commanded to consider the poor by leaving gleanings for them. See, they recognized that God is the one who gave the harvest, and he had every right to tell his people what to do with it, how to use it. This reminds me of James chapter 1, verse 17, which says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Man, this is such an amazing promise that we can stand firm on, that we can build our lives on. When we remember that every good and perfect gift comes from God, I think that helps us have an attitude of generosity towards others. God blesses our lives so that we can in turn bless others. Because Ruth was a widow with no means of uh, providing for herself, she decided in faith to go out into the field so that she could glean the grain. The law that was in place was meant to be a type of mercy ministry that stood as a reminder of God's heart and his concern for the poor. And God's people, they were instructed to treat the poor with value dignity, and respect. As we touched on last week, God also cares about the needs of widows, many of whom were poor. And he told his people to care for them as well. Ruth was not only a poor widow, but she was also a foreigner, living amongst a new people, the people of God. She had every right to actually look to God for help and provision. Maybe you are thinking, why did she have that right? If she wasn't even born in Bethlehem or Judah, she wasn't part of the covenant family of God? Well, when we look in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verse 18, um, we read an incredible truth. It says that God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. We don't know for sure, but I believe Ruth would have known this truth and this promise. In fact, this might have been a promise that she built her life on. And this help and provision that God promised in his word almost always came through the generosity and the obedience of his people. So Ruth, not being part of the covenant family of God, she was stepping out in faith, trusting that God would provide for her needs. To walk by faith means to take God at his word and then act upon it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, I think is the definitive verse that helps us not only define, but understand what it means to have faith. It says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So faith is, is having that, that confidence that what we hope for is actually going to happen. Ruth believed that, that God loved her and would provide for her. So in response, she put that faith into action. She set out to find a field that she could work in. And as a foreigner, she had no idea who owned the various fields. As a woman and as a widow living in this time, she had to be careful about where she went and who she interacted with. Ruth was walking by faith. 
Now, this is also where Boaz enters the story. We learn about Boaz right off the bat. Verses 1 and verse 3 tell us what kind of man he was and how others viewed him. He was a relative of Ruth's deceased father-in-law, Elimelech. And the Bible tells us he was a man of standing or an influential man in the community. Others looked up to him. He was respected and loved. The name Boaz actually means in him is strength. Man, what a name. By the providence of God, Ruth found herself working, gleaning in a field that happened to belong to Boaz. Again, I think this is the providence of God. This was God's plan all along. You know, God's providential working in our own lives is often a mystery. You know, I don't pretend to uh, understand how God does what he does or why he does what he does. But we can be sure of a few important scriptural truths today. And that is this, that if you're a believer, God is constantly working with you. Mark chapter 16 tells us that. That he's constantly working in you. Philippians 2 reminds us about that truth. And he's constantly working for your good, according to Romans 8. He does all of this to accomplish his great purposes in your life. He does this for his glory and for your good. But one condition that we must meet for God to accomplish his great purposes is this, that you know, we must walk by faith. We take God at his word. We build our lives on the promises of God, and then we act upon those. We must walk by faith. Another condition that we must meet for God to accomplish his great purposes in our lives is that we must depend on God's grace. We must depend on God's grace. Um, We see this condition and this truth uh, in verses 4 through 16. You know, when Ruth went out for the very first time looking for a field to work, she was really looking for someone who would show her grace. I don't think she was actually looking for the field itself. She was looking for someone to show her grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. As a woman, a poor widow, and a foreigner living in this time, Ruth didn't have any claims to anyone or anything. She would have been at the bottom of the social ladder. But it's here that we see God's grace at work through the life of Boaz. He was the channel or the person that God chose to work through. Now, when we take a step back and We apply this to our own lives. I think it's so awesome to recognize that God has faithful people that he's using and working through during difficult times in our own lives. I've experienced this so many times over the past several months, and I know many of you have as well. People whom God used as a channel for his grace during a difficult season. Boaz knew the Lord And he wanted to be obedient to God's will. And God used him because of that. One of the incredible things about the book of Ruth is learning that in Boaz, we're actually given a picture of Christ's relationship to his bride, the church. So like Ruth, a foreigner who is outside the covenant family of God, the lost are people who are living outside the family of God as well, bankrupt because of sin and having not yet experienced God's grace and mercy in their own lives. But God took the initiative and provided a way for us to be adopted into his family through faith in Jesus. He provided a way for us to be reconciled to God. We're going to talk about that more over the next couple of weeks as we learn about how Boaz was Ruth's family redeemer. And how he ultimately points us to Jesus. But today, I'd like to help you notice God's grace in your own life. 
I want to do that by looking at a few ways that Boaz interacted with Ruth. The first thing I notice in this section of scripture is that Boaz took the initiative. He took the initiative. Boaz made the first move. He approached Ruth first. You know, grace reminds us that God makes the first move when coming to our aid, not because we deserve it or because of anything that we've done, but because of who he is and because he loves us. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think about 1 John chapter 4 verse 19. It says, We love because he first loved us. So according to God's word, God took the initiative in salvation when we were spiritually dead. He took the initiative when we were at our very worst, according to the Bible, when we were his enemies. So Boaz took the initiative, but in a much greater way, in a perfect way, God takes the initiative with us. The second thing I noticed here is that Boaz spoke to Ruth first. He spoke to Ruth first. He did this because she would have never spoken to a man or a stranger, especially someone who had the kind of reputation that Boaz had. Boaz even interrupts the conversation that he was having with his foreman so that he could walk over and talk with Ruth. You know, there are famous people that will never talk to me. I grew up watching Michael Jordan play basketball. Um, My favorite band is Switchfoot. The people that make up that band, they'll probably never talk to me, even if I went to one of their concerts. And then what about the Queen of England? You know, she'll never talk to me. These people have never spoken to me and probably never will. But this is an amazing truth that we can be reminded about today. God has spoken to us in Jesus Christ and through his word. You see, in spite of our sin and and all of our mistakes, the creator of the universe still speaks to us, reminding us about his grace and giving us the guidance that we need for everyday life. So Boaz spoke to Ruth first, and in a much greater and more perfect way, God speaks to us. The third thing I notice is that Boaz promised to protect Ruth and, and to provide for her needs. You know, because she was younger, when Boaz approaches her, he actually calls her my daughter. But this wasn't a term that was used just because of her age. It was also a term of endearment. What does that mean? Well, he was treating her like a member of the family. He told the younger men to protect her. He told the younger women to work with her. He said that if she was hungry, she could eat his food. If she was thirsty, she could drink from his well. Friends, what a picture of God's grace in our own lives. Jesus came as a servant that he might save us, reconcile us to God, and make us part of God's family. He shares with us the riches of his mercy and love, the riches of his grace, the riches of his wisdom and knowledge, and his riches in glory. The Bible is clear that we are all undeserving foreigners who've been given an invitation, God's free gift of grace, an invitation to be adopted into the family of God, having all the family inheritance at our disposal. And this awesome truth is especially important to me because of what God has called me to do and where he's led my family over the past several years. You know, No matter where he leads us, the promise that I'm continually reminded about, the promise that I build my life on is this, that if we'll follow him, He's promised to take care of us. As an adopted son in God's family, this is a promise that, again, I can build my life on. As as adopted sons and daughters, you can too. 
Now, while these three examples don't cover everything that takes place between verses 4 and 16, they are great reminders about God's grace in our own lives. And they help us to depend on that grace every single day as we walk with Jesus. Two conditions that we must meet for God to accomplish his great purposes in our lives. One, we must walk by faith. And two, we must depend on God's grace. But I'd like to end our time by sharing one final condition that we must meet. And that condition is this. We must live in hope. We must live in hope. We see this in verses 17 through 23. So after working all day, filling up an entire basket full of food, Ruth went back into town to tell her mother-in-law about what had happened and to show her the food that she collected. And for the very first time, we see a major change in Naomi's attitude and perspective. So as Ruth is telling Naomi about where she got the food and in whose field she was able to work, Naomi displays an attitude of gratitude. In fact, two different times, she asked God to bless the person who helped Ruth. We have to remember that when Naomi arrived in Bethlehem, there was one word that she used to define her life. Do you remember what that word was? Remember, she told everyone to call her Mara, which means bitter. The word bitter was that one word. But now we hear a new word coming from her lips. And that's the word blessed. She not only blessed Boaz, but she blessed the Lord. She moved from bitterness to blessedness. What kind of change must have taken place in her heart for her to have a response like this? I think we're seeing this change because of the hope that she now had. And practically speaking, Boaz was the one who gave her that hope. She had hope because of who Boaz was. He was a family redeemer who could rescue relatives and give them a new beginning. We're going to talk more about that next week. She had hope because of what Boaz did. And he showed kindness to Ruth and he took a personal interest in her situation. And she had hope because of what Boaz said. He spoke life-giving words. He truly wanted to make Ruth happy. Now, if you believe in Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you can and should live in hope. When you consider who he is, what he's done, and what he says to us throughout his word, there's no reason to feel hopeless. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He, he died for us, and, and now he intercedes for us in heaven. And throughout his word, he gives us his great and precious promises, promises that will never fail. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, Let us hold tightly, without wavering, to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. Hope is really an inner sense of joyful assurance and confidence as we trust God's promises and we face the future, not alone, but with his help. So regardless of how you feel today, regardless of what kind of season you're going through, how difficult your circumstances may be, you can live in hope if you keep your eyes focused on Christ. And this kind of hope is a gift that God wants to give you. You can live in hope, not because of who you are, or because of anything that you've done, but because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done. My charge for you today is this. I want to challenge you to live by faith, depend on God's grace, and live in hope. If you'll live this way with God's help, he'll accomplish his great purposes in your life. And friends, I can't wait to continue the story next week as we learn more about God's extraordinary work through ordinary people. 
I've been praying for you throughout this week, even if I've never met you or we've never talked in person. I've been praying for you. I'm going to continue to do so as we go through this series.